Friends, about every month or every six weeks or so, the worship team of this church gets together and we plan out worship for about six weeks ahead. We pick out the hymns, we talk about what the sermons are going to be, talk about the scriptures. And I usually come into that with a list of scriptures and a vague idea of what the sermon is going to look like. It's not formed at all. Sometimes I'm talking it out during the meeting. And when we met about four weeks ago and I talked about this Sunday, I looked at them and said, I got nothing. I have no idea. Let's just pick some more generic hymns. Let's not try to tie them into the sermon because I have no idea what it's going to be. And all week, the scripture passage had me stumped because it's a narrative story. It tells a story, but it seems almost like two different passages with a very little connecting them. In the first one, Jesus is invited back to his hometown to teach. And he goes into the synagogue and he begins to teach And then he starts to get heckled and insulted. They said, is this not Mary's son? And in our society, that doesn't sound like anything, but in Jesus' society, that was a very big insult. That was basically saying that he did not have a father or that his mother didn't know who the father was. Now this is something that only Jesus' hometown that remembered when Mary was pregnant before she and Joseph were married would be able to say to him, And they insulted him and they heckled him and they said, isn't this Mary's son? Don't we know his brothers, his sisters? Wasn't he just a carpenter? And he was able to do very little among them because their belief was so minimal. He was amazed at their lack of belief. The second part of the passage has Jesus gathering in the twelve and sending them out to heal and to cast out spirits. And he gives them very specific instructions. Take only a staff, wear sandals, don't wear two tunics, don't take any money, don't take any bag, stay somewhere until you leave, and if they reject you, brush the dust off your feet. What connects these two passages? What can we get about either one of them, much less both of them, together? So this week I dug deeper into the Scriptures and looked further into it, and something hit me about the first part of the passage. I think what Jesus' hometown was worried about was that Jesus appeared too human. They heard about Jesus in far-off lands, teaching wonderful lessons, healing people, curing the blind, healing the lame. And he was a hometown hero. And so they invited him back to celebrate him. And he came and he went into the synagogue and he began to teach. And as he began to teach, they remembered, wait a minute. Remember when he was just a punk kid? Remember when he was running around playing stickball in the streets with his brothers and sisters? Remember when he was a carpenter hanging at Joseph's feet, learning his trade? Where did he get all this wisdom Where did he get this power? This isn't anyone. This is little Jesus. Remember him? When I was in seminary, the church that I grew up in began to look for a pastor. And several people from that church joked, well, why don't we just wait till Chris is done with seminary and he could come be our pastor. And I've got several friends and colleagues who have experienced a similar thing. The churches they grew up with at some point began to search for a pastor and said, oh, well, Susie could come back, Chris could come back, Caleb could come back and be our pastor. Most of the time, this is a terrible, terrible idea. (laughs) I laughed politely when it was suggested because I knew it would never come to fruition. 
But I knew that I would not be able to be a pastor at the church I grew up in. Because there would be the youth leader who I used to play practical jokes on. There'd be the chaperone that caught me with a pack of cigarettes on the mission trip. There'd be all the people that saw me as a kid growing up. And they wouldn't be able to take me seriously as a pastor or as an adult because they remember me how I was. These churches still remember little Chris or little Susie and can't take them seriously as a pastoral authority. And I think this is what Jesus is experiencing. They remember Jesus the child. Jesus the awkward teenager. Jesus the young adult learning a trade. And they see Him as too human. And we want our superheroes to be more than human. We want them to be bigger than life. This is no more evident than one of the up-and-coming action stars, Chris Pratt. He starred in Jurassic World. He starred in uh, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy last summer. He's been rumored to replace Harrison Ford as the next Indiana Jones. But if you know him at all, you know that he got his start on the show Parks and Recreation. And on that show, he was just kind of a chubby, laughing everyman, a comedic actor. But if you see him in these movies, he's undergone a huge transformation. I mean, you should Google this. He's eight-pack ripped. He's become larger than life. Because that is how we want our heroes. We want our heroes larger than life. If we want our heroes larger than life, then we definitely want our Messiah, our Savior, to be larger than life. We say that we understand that Jesus is fully human, fully God, but we only like to talk about the fully human part at Christmas when Jesus is a little baby. The rest of the time, we don't like to think about Jesus as human. Several years ago, there was a book that had a huge controversy following it, The Da Vinci Code. And the controversy came because this work of fiction theorized that at one point, Jesus had gotten married to Mary Magdalene and had a child. So what? I mean, it's fiction, so it's it's not true. It's in the writer's imagination. But if it were true, I don't understand what the controversy is. It isn't like Jesus had a child out of wedlock. It's not like Jesus was a deadbeat dad. Jesus got married and had a child. Something that millions of people have done over the millennia. It's a perfectly human thing to do. And I think that's the problem. It was too human. And we don't like to think of Jesus as too human. But it's essential we do so. Jesus' humanity is important for many different reasons. Jesus' humanity is important because it's vital to how we understand the salvation that He offers. When we sin, we create a gap between ourselves and God. And this is a debt that only God can pay, but it's a debt that is humanity's to pay. So God can pay it, but shouldn't. Humanity should pay it, but can't. So it takes one who is both human and God to pay that debt. And in that way, Christ, who is both human and both God, is able to forgive our sins, is to bridge that gap between ourselves and God. And some of our most powerful passages from Scripture come when Jesus reveals His humanity. We see Jesus tempted in the wilderness. We see Jesus weeping at the tomb of His friend Lazarus. 
We see Jesus on his knees in the Garden of Gethsemane saying, Lord, please take this cup away from me. And we see Jesus on the cross crying, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I think the most important reason why we remember Christ's humanity is because we have a Savior who is like us, who has walked in our shoes, who knows what it's like to be human. When we're faced with temptation, when we're faced with sin, we remember that Christ, our Messiah, was also faced with temptation in the wilderness. When we mourn, when we grieve, when we suffer sorrow, we remember Christ weeping at Lazarus' tomb. When we hear God calling us on a path and we don't want to follow, we don't want to listen, we remember Christ praying, Lord, take this cup from me. But not your will, but mine. But not my will, but yours be done. And when we feel alone, Scared, vulnerable, afraid. We find comfort in Christ's words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Friends, Christ is fully human. And in that, we have a Savior who has walked where we walk. He doesn't lead us blindly, but leads us to places that He has been. And I think that's what connects the first part of this passage to the second part of the passage. In the second part of the passage, Jesus sends out the disciples in twos and he gives them very specific instructions on what they can take and what they can't take. And then he says, if you go into a house and they will not hear you and they reject you, shake the dust off your feet and leave. Jesus gives them instructions on how to deal with rejection. And he does this because he was just rejected himself. He was just in his hometown teaching to people he knew and loved. And they turned their backs on him. They rejected him. And so he dusted off his feet and he went to the neighboring villages. He knew what it was like to suffer rejection. So he could show the disciples how to deal with rejection. He knows what it's like to be tempted, so He feels for us when we are tempted. He knows what it's like to be lost, to be afraid, to be alone. So He's there for us when we are lost, afraid, and alone. He knows what it's like to not want to follow God's will, to want to give in to your own personal desires, so He empathizes with us when we do the same. And he knows what it's like to feel the pangs of human loss, of mourning, of grief. And he weeps with us. And he mourns with us. And I think that's what's most amazing about Jesus Christ. Yes, he's fully God. Yes, he was there at the beginning, will be there at the end, the Alpha and the Omega. But he's also fully human. And has walked in our shoes and has been there where we've been. And He leads us knowing that He has been where we are going. And He sympathizes with us. And He emphasizes with us. 
because he's been there too. The people in Jesus' hometown were frightened and turned off because he was all too human. But that's the very reason why we should embrace Christ. Because he is both fully human and fully God. And in his fully human, he knows what it is to be human. With all its frailty, with all its shortcomings, without its downfalls. And he loves us anyway. Amen.